0: mindfulness mode.
1: In some ways, all the other good girl myths are kinds of rules that we have to abide by. So we have to crack this one thing where we change our relationship to external authority.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe. I don't know how many out there know a good girl. Maybe you are a good girl. And do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a a thing. We're going to be talking about it today. And I know that there's another thing that we might talk a little bit about, and that's nice guys and that's a thing and that's something that we probably can talk about because i'm with the author of a very fascinating new book which is called break the good girl myth and it's just coming out by harper collins coming up in july and we have maho Mafino with us today and i'm really excited maho are you in mindfulness mode today
1: uh a little bit <laughs> I love that. I love that. It just catched me off guard. Hmm, Let me think about that. Am I in mindfulness mode? I am with you right now, Bruce. That's for sure.
0: I love your laugh. (laughs) You're putting me in mindfulness mode. And uh, I've pretty much been in mindfulness mode most of the day, but there are always moments. You know what I mean? Oh, of course.
1: (laughs) Every time I'm like, oh, yes, come back to the breath. Mm."
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I want to share a bit about you, Maho. Maho Mofino guides women toward more power and meaning through her unique blend of storytelling, design, psychology, and mindfulness. She's the author, like I said, of this new book called Break the Good Girl Myth, and she's host of a podcast called Heroin. It features award-winning authors and artists, entrepreneurs, and it's just going to be so much fun to talk to you. I know you have a degree from McGill University in Montreal, and you also have a master's in learning design and technology from Stanford. It's going to be such an interesting conversation. So, Maho, tell us what mindfulness means to you.
1: What a beautiful question. Thank you for asking it. Mindfulness, to me is coming back to the body, which I have very much learned in my upbringing and conditioning to fly away from, to escape. So mindfulness is really about being awake to my body in physical space and time and taking deep breaths and coming into the present moment and becoming aware, of course, of thoughts and feelings as they arise. I actually took a seven-day silent mindfulness retreat over the holidays with my husband before the pandemic and everything in the world started to unravel. We took refuge for, for a week, and it was fascinating to study my own mind for seven days.
0: Well, I want to know more about that. What did you learn about yourself?
1: So much. I learned that my mind, I could basically start to categorize my thoughts in the same sort of buckets. Uh, One was definitely um, what I would call, I started calling them the do-over where I would fantasize about past experiences and I would do them over as if I could do them better again. You know, it's almost as if tomorrow I'll think about this podcast interview and I'll be like, Hmm. And I'll imagine myself saying something different to you, Bruce and how I could have done it better. So those do-overs kept playing. And I was like, okay, that's a category of thought that I have called the do-over, you know? And then another was, I was obviously, you know, if worry would arise, I would get anxious about the future. What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? I was like, okay, those are future thoughts. So I was very much because all you do is study your mind for seven days. (laughs) I was really able to see the different categories of my thoughts and. It was fascinating because that is actually my day-to-day experience, right? But we don't slow down enough typically to actually notice those thoughts.
0: Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I want to talk to you about your book, Break the Good Girl Myth. What is the good girl myth?
1: Thanks for asking. The good girl myth is a self-sabotaging subconscious belief that we inherit as women and we learn as girls and women from the patriarchy. So, in the book, I argue there are five. There are five good girl myths every woman needs to unlearn, so sort of decondition herself from in order to come into more authenticity and design a more purposeful life.
0: So, can you tell us what some of those are?
1: Sure. <laughs> So the first I talk about in the book right away is the myth of rules. In the myth of rules, we follow external authority and rules instead of trusting our own desires, needs, and opinions. And so this is the woman who is going with what is expected of her from her family, her religion, what she was taught in school. Perhaps she's going with the program from the larger more mainstream pop culture, but instead of following what she truly wants deep down, she's sort of following this other program, the myth of rules. So that's the, I I start the book with that good girl myth, because I'm like, if we can't break this good girl myth, we're not going to break the other ones because in some ways, all the other good girl myths are kinds of rules that we have to abide by. So we have to crack this one thing where we change our relationship to external authority, which is a lifelong process, of course. Uh, So that's the first. The second, do you want to?
0: Well, I was just gonna say, do you feel that you have followed this myth yourself?
1: In some ways I have, in some ways I have not in different contexts. I don't score very high on the myth of rules. So in the book, I have an assessment where women can score themselves on the good girl myths. I don't score high because- I have carved out my own path in terms of as an entrepreneur. And in order, I, in order for me to have done that, I had to break, a I had to break my, my myth of rules in my mid twenties, in which I had to tell my parents, particularly my father, I'm not going to be a researcher. I'm not going to go get a PhD. Um, I'm not going to go into academia. I'm going to, guide women and become a quote unquote coach, which was very confusing to my parents who were immigrants, you know? So, and, and who had wanted me to sort of not wanted, but had um, expected me to go a certain route. So I think I've, I've, I don't really fit into the myth of rules category as much. My primary good girl myth is actually the next good girl myth. I wanted to tell you about.
0: Oh Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) My primary one by far, and it's the one that I still grapple with to this day, is the myth of perfection, which is I'm demanding perfection in myself and in other people instead of embracing the mistakes and the reality of how things are. And so mindfulness is really good medicine for someone like me because mindfulness helps us embrace the reality of how things are. But I tend to resist that reality, because what I want is ideal. Yeah. That's what I've been
0: striving for. Because what you want is ideal? Mm-hmm. So, perfection is something that a lot of people struggle with, not just women. Do you think more women struggle with perfection than men do?
1: I do. <laughs> I really do. I mean, in anecdotally asking women leaders, what are you seeing as the difference between you and your? male colleagues. And by far the answer I get is, gosh, I'm so much harder on myself. When they make a mistake, it seems to roll off their back. Whereas when I make a mistake, I can really get rigid with it. And I replay it in my mind. And, you know, like I was mentioning at the beginning of this podcast with the do over that's, you know, um, something that so many women have that experience of doing different scenarios over in their minds. Now, the reason why it's more prevalent for girls and women as well is research has shown that parents and teachers tend to praise little girls versus little boys for what are called fixed qualities instead of effort. So they give girls a lot of praise and they say things like, you're such a good girl. You're very intelligent. You're very good at that, which is in some ways would seem harmless, but what the research has found is that kind of praise actually hinders us long-term in terms of our persistence and our willingness to persist at tasks and uh, avoid quitting. So research has shown even longitudinal studies that boys and men, because they receive a lot more encouragement around their effort and their process, they tend to persist at tasks longer. And that might even explain one possible theory is that could explain the leadership gap we're seeing, where in the work world, if you look at the top positions across all industries, men are still very much in the lead in terms of they're, very, they're quite represented compared to women.
0: And I want to ask you, like I mentioned in the intro about the whole nice guy image that sometimes guys have this, is there a relation between nice guy myth and good girl myth?
1: My husband and I always joke around that, like, he needs to write the good boy myth, break the good boy myth (laughs) book. (laughs) Um, But I'm really glad that you're asking this question, because I think what we all need to understand, and, and in the first chapter of the book, I just break down the patriarchy. What is it? What are its characteristics? Where does it come from? Because that's the foundation for the rest of the book, but why it's so important to educate ourselves, both women, men, and all genders about the patriarchy is that it affects all of us. It doesn't just affect women.
0: Oh, very interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it affects... Um, children, because we force them into gender norms very early on a boy is supposed to act like this, a girl is supposed to act like this. And then it affects, um, men as they grow up because we pressure them to be a certain way. So the patriarchy pressures men to be macho pressures them to stuff their feelings down. Why? Because there's a tight relationship between the patriarchy and war mentality, In order for you to kill in war, you need to stifle your feelings, right? In order for you to do any kind of heinous act that goes against your nature, we assume we have a good nature that requires you to numb yourself. So in the patriarchy, it's beneficial for men to cut their own feelings down and stifle those feelings because it gets the job done if you're looking at it from a war perspective. So it's all interrelated. Mine
0: mm-hmm. is it connected to attachment theory?
1: Is the patriarchy connected to attachment theory? Right, right. You know, um, you're, when you say attachment te- theory, you're referring to avoidant, anxious, yes. those. Uh-huh. You know, it's interesting. I have seen some gender norms with attachment theory. I'm not an expert on attachment theory. I want to caveat with that. But what I have observed and seen in conversation is that men tend to fall a little bit more. And I don't know if there's actual data on this in the avoidant category and women tend to follow a little, fall a little bit more in the anxious category. And so if you look at it from the lens of the patriarchy, that could make sense, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That could Uh, make sense.
1: Right. Like from the patriarchy's point of view, men need to be avoiding intimacy, avoiding feelings women need to be sort of easy to get along with and interpersonally attached and needy and dependent, right? So, but I hesitate to make any generalizations because I'm not familiar enough with uh, attachment theory, but that's something I've observed in speaking with friends and colleagues about it.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe, I put together a training module called the Stand Up Now Blueprint, Are you feeling overwhelmed or struggling with anxiety and stress? Can you imagine how it would feel to be happier and more relaxed with with more peace in your life? Well, my training will help you transition to a new place of contentment. It focuses on five simple ways to move from struggling to productive. As a result of this experience, you'll accomplish more that matters to you in your life. So to put it simply, you'll be happier. This training is free and you can get it at mindfulnessmode.com slash S U N Blueprint. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash Sun Blueprint. And now back to our show. So Maho, why did you decide to write this book?
1: Because I'm that typical good girl. <laughs> I was that I was that good girl who um got straight A's. I listened to my teachers. I listened to my parents. I wanted to win the figure skating contest. I wanted to win at the piano recital. I got the trophies and awards. I went to the best schools. So I was sort of like the golden child, right? Like poster Mm -hmm. kid. And on top of that, as a daughter of immigrants and as an immigrant myself felt a lot of pressure to like achieve and succeed but that eventually caught up with me in my early twenties when I was at a dead end job and feeling very spiritually devoid thinking what's my purpose in life. Why have I done? What's been expected of me my entire life. I had this aha moment um, looking at myself in the mirror at my cubicle job. I was outside the elevators. I still remember it. And I had this moment where I just looked at myself in the eyes and I felt like I was wearing a costume and I was Playing a role. And that's when I realized I have been playing a role. I've been playing a role my entire life. And so it's been a process of shedding that uniform, shedding that role and that costume and those layers to coming into who I really am.
0: Don't you think we all play roles?
1: Yeah, I do think we all play roles. I do think that this society and this culture, for whatever reason, Really pressures girls and women to play the good girl role. And is it because we really, is it, well, we know why, for in some cases, we know that, let me start that over. Well, we know that when women play the good girl role, it can serve in sort of traditional structures, right? And in traditional um, family roles that really helps when women are sacrificing, when women are holding back their voices, when women are putting up with things for a long time, that kind of helps things go along as they need to go along. But eventually uh, that cracks. And then we see the Women's Liberation Movement. We see the Me Too Movement. We see that that isn't gonna work for very long. We need some kind of balance here. We need to balance the, the roles and the energies
0: And how can male partners help women through this challenge?
1: I think it all starts with empathy. Like with, with my husband, for example, uh, he often asks me like with my husband, he has asked me in the past, which I've really appreciated. What's your experience being a woman and walking around at night, even in a safe neighborhood, what does that feel like to you? You know? And then I get to say, I'm really scared. I'm looking over my shoulder. If I go into a parking lot, I think someone could jump me. He's like, wow, every time you go into a parking lot, you feel that way. I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, or I look in the mirror and I think my calves are too big and I think my ankles are too fat or whatever. And he's like, whoa, really? You feel that way about your body? Like he's like flabbergasted because he Mm -hmm. doesn't have these thoughts. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so by him just asking and listening, I think that creates empathy. And then he begins to realize, he he begins to see something he hasn't seen before, but something he's been blind to in terms of the experience of girls and women. And I think that's important. That's the first step. And that that can be also broadened outside of gender to something like race, right? Like, what is it like for a black man to live in America? Really bad, you know, <laughs> like- mm-hmm wow so to to, to be able to, for us because it's not our experience because we don't hold those identities to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes is so important
0: your book comes out in july but i know you do a lot of writing in different other publications have you received any negative publicity do you receive any haters you know hating on you because of some of the ideas that you share and if you do how do you deal with it
1: you know um, I haven't to date. I did, I did. Re- there was one time I was surprised. Actually, I'll, I'll share one example. I wrote a piece for FASCO Design where I argued that one of the reasons we don't see that many women leaders in design and tech is because, yes, the pathway is extremely stressful for women in tech. We live in the patriarchy and that's tech, tech and corporate, the corporate world can be particularly patriarchal. But the other reason is the patriarchy exists within us as women, and maybe we're holding ourselves back, right? And someone came out and said, it sounds like you're blaming women for what's happening. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, a, that's kind of, in some ways, black and white thinking. Either it's a woman's fault or not her fault, right? Right. And it's, it's never her fault This isn't your fault as a woman that you might be having resistance or inner critic or you're unable to rise as a leader, but it's your responsibility as a woman to do something about it, right? And what a beautiful opportunity to unlearn things that you grew up learning and ways of being so that you could be more powerful that you need to take responsibility for that. So it's both, right? The system is not working for a lot of us. And the system is within us, so we have to look at it. You know, I think tools like mindfulness are perfectly designed for that.
0: So Maho, do you know any men who have read your book? And if so, what was their reaction?
1: My book comes out July twenty eighth, so not nobody has read my book yet.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was wondering if you maybe put preview copies out there or anything like that.
1: Um, I have. Okay, so I've had some people. Uh, I've had women read my book. I haven't had any men read my book and I'm excited to have men read my book. I can't wait for them to get their hands on it because I'm praying that there will be a man who will read my book and say, I want to write this book for men. Uh-huh. You know, I want to write about how men can unlearn the patriarchy inside themselves, but it, it has to come from my voice as a man. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not something that I can offer to men. It's something that I really hope men will come out and start doing.
0: Right. And looking Interesting. at Interesting. Well, I look forward to reading your book. Uh, yeah. And,
1: and I think that the book will be relevant. If you're a man listening to this, um, the book will be relevant to your sister, to your daughter, to your mother, to your friend, to your wife. So many women in your life can benefit from understanding how they can break out of this role of the pressures to be perfect, the pressures to be sacrificing and harmonious and and how they can choose to have a different way of being, you know? And I think I think it's also important that, and I bring this up for the good girl myths. I'm not saying any of the, any of these things are bad. I say that in the beginning of the book. I am not saying that rules are bad, perfection is bad. I didn't even I haven't gone through the other good girl myths, but I'll go through them now. The myth of logic, I'm not saying that's even bad. I'm not saying logic is bad. Harmony is bad or sacrifice is bad. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. What I'm saying is we need to be able to choose to be these things as women if we want to be instead of just defaulting into them because that's what's expected of us from society. So I can choose to be sacrificing if I want to be, but I don't have to be right? There's a nuance there. There's a difference. I don't have to feel the pressure to be those things, but I can choose to be if I want to.
0: Maho, well, I'm guessing there are some pretty interesting stories in your book that you've shared to prove some of your points or to point out some of your ideas. Is there a story that you could share with us now?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, which of the five myths feels most interesting to you? Rules, perfection, logic, harmony, sacrifice, I had stories within each of them.
0: Well, let's talk about Harmony.
1: Oh yeah, my favorite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had such a good time writing that one. Um, Sure. So I I will tell you a story about one of my clients, Jyoti. So she had come to me because she wanted to work on her career. And a lot of women come to me because they want to work on their leadership and career or creativity. But as I was talking to her, you know, she was telling me about stress and I was trying to understand what, what were the sources of her stress? And then her husband came up, her partner. Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about your partner. And I don't do relationship and intimacy coaching. That's not my area, but it came up. And sometimes with, with women, certain things, you start somewhere, but you end up somewhere else. I'm sure you know that as a coach, yes. right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so she's telling me, well, um, I'm stressed because, you know, I have to, I have to juggle the roles of being a mother soon. You know, I want to be a mother, but a working woman. And how do I do that? And as I kept digging and going deeper into what the problem really was, turns out her and her husband hadn't been intimate, sexually intimate for two years and she hadn't brought it up to him. And so I was like, wow, there's like an elephant in the room between the both of you. And the subject hasn't been talked about. And with the myth of harmony, what I've noted is that we really avoid difficult conversations because we don't want to have, right. We don't want to deal with the confrontation and the change there, but that's, what's needed that, that difficult conversation is what's needed in order for there to be transformation, change, and a maturation in the relationship. So I see you nodding your head, like you're understanding.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, uh, you know, I feel for that couple because maybe there's, you know, shame, maybe there's fear, maybe there's anger, maybe there's hurt, you know, there's so many layers.
1: So many layers. Yeah. There's a lot of layers and a lot of what you mentioned, all of those emotions you mentioned are dark, difficult emotions, right? The things that, that if we're under the myth of harmony, we don't want to deal with, right? We're like, well, I want to feel good. I want to be harmonious. I want to, you know, I don't want to deal with the, oh, let's just put that away. So in having her look at that and sit with it. And uh, often I use mindfulness in my own coaching to have her really look at the issue. She was able to bring it up to her husband and they were able to have an honest conversation. It was difficult But when she moved through that, she was then able to, in her acceptance of the situation, seek help, professional help and go to a clinic where she could understand why she was having pain during intercourse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's an example where when we follow the myth of harmony, we are avoiding the difficult conversations we need to have in order to come into greater truth and growth.
0: Right. This is very interesting. So interesting. And I can't wait to read the book. And I think it's, it's going to be really something that will receive a lot of attention once it comes out. Break the Good Girl Myth by Harper Collins. As we move forward in the interview, Maho, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has been an influence in your life of mindfulness?
1: Oh, I'd have to say Tara Brock.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's <laughs> incredible. How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: What a good question. The first thing that came to my mind was like a softening. And I could imagine my emotions kind of like um, settling, a settling. They've it's, uh, Mindfulness has allowed me to accept, embrace, and settle my emotions.
0: Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice.
1: Oh my God, breathing is everything. Breathing. Sometimes when my mind is really busy, I take the yogic approach (laughs) (laughs) and I say, okay, mind, like you're too busy. You're too monkey right now. I'm going to breathe because through the breathing, I start to settle the mind. And so I actually love like rapid breathing, cyclical breathing. I do, I have practiced certain Kriyas. They've really helped me open to meditation.
0: If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be?
1: I love Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion. She defines self-compassion. She has three components, common humanity, mindfulness, and kindness. And I love that she puts mindfulness in the framework of self-compassion. That book has been a game changer for me because my myth is the myth of perfection. It's the perfect book for me.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes. Can you share an app? Which can help with mindfulness.
1: I've been using Glow for many years now. It used to be called Yoga Glow and then they rebranded to Glow. And they have some of the best yoga instructors on there and mindfulness and meditation teachers.
0: Right. Is it G-L-O-W or a different spelling? There's no W. G-L-O. I I thought so. Yeah, I thought it was G-L-O, but I wasn't absolutely sure. Right. Okay, we'll check that out.
1: Yeah, definitely check it out. And just to tell your listeners, I'm very into yoga nidra. Do you practice yoga nidra? Do you know what it is? No. Do you know what progressive body relaxation is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I do that almost once a day, if not a few times a week. It's like my little power nap. Okay. And I can't recommend enough. The reason I bring it up is I do the yoga nidra classes on glow and I love them.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story you can share with us where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? Oh,
1: man. I love that you're passionate about bullying. I wanted to thank you for all your work in that area. It's so needed. Oh, yes. When I was 13, I was bullied. And it was a really hard time. I was like the new kid. I wasn't accepted in this school. And a bunch of boys, actually, kind of. They thought it was in Canada. So you'll know. What was it called when you like snow someone? There's like a term for it where you just like, you just bury them in snow. You bombard them with snowballs. I
0: don't like know a, what the term is. Yeah.
1: Well, I forget what it's called, but it was like a snow attack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I think what was really terrifying about it was the anticipation because I knew it was going to happen after school one day but they didn't tell me when. And so many days went by and I was like more and more scared that it was going to happen. And then mm-hmm. it did happen and it was like a horrible experience and felt like I was really ganged up on, you know? Yes. And I think if I had had, and I remember being really upset and crying and wa- crying to my parents and my parents being devastated and my parents wanting to intervene and go to the school and me begging them not to and that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I wish I had had some mindfulness to support me in dealing with the sadness, because actually that memory came up decades later in retreats. I was able to process it, you know, later in life. I would have, I had that memory as a flashback.
0: Wow. Yeah. That sounds like it could be quite traumatic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Maho, I'm excited about your book coming out. I think that a lot of women are going to benefit from this. How can we learn more about you, Maho?
1: Sure. You can head to goodgirlmyth.com and learn about the book. You can pre-order the book if you're listening to this before July 28th. That's when it comes out. If you pre-order, I have a special bonus training for you that's going to support you in designing your creative purpose. So go to goodgirlmyth.com and check that out. And I would love, love, love your feedback on the book. You can find me on Instagram at Maho Molfino and I would love to connect there as well.
0: Well, Maho, thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening, Bruce. Appreciate your questions. Thank you.
0: Okay, bye now. Mindful Tribe, I hope you've enjoyed today's interview. And if you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens, that helps our show. And anyone who offers to do a review, That also helps do a review on iTunes or on any app that you listen to the show on. So that would be great. In the meantime, I just wanted to mention what I mentioned partway through the show today that I put together a training module. I wanted to remind you about that. And that can help you if you're experiencing anxiety or stress or if life feels like a struggle for you. So just check out the training, it's free. It's called Five Simple Ways to Move from Struggling to productive. And you can find that at mindfulnessmode.com slash sunblueprint. So take what you've heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.